0: Hi, I'm Nana,
1: and I'm Bonkio, and this is African.American.
0: This is a show about immigrants and children of African immigrants living in the United States. Today, we have a very special guest with us. She is an African American who has moved from the United States to Nigeria. Um, she's going to share her experiences and her journey to the continent with us. Welcome, Itoro. What is your full name?
2: Um. Well, it's Itoro Bassiu Udaphi. Itoro okay. is my mom's maiden
0: name. Ah, so Itoro mm-hmm. is not short for any, anything. It's... The, oh, oh, the full, full name. The wow, full, full well, name.
2: first of all, <laughs> I have many names and most people here have at least four names. Yeah. So it's Itoro Bung, Paula uh, Bassi, which I took on Udafia. So four four names. And sometimes people just call me Paula, which is named after my father. Okay. So, or Itoro or IT or
0: yeah. <laughs> so you have both of your, your mom and dad's name <laughs> incorporated in yours as well. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in
2: Massachusetts. I was born in Houston, Texas.
0: Oh, and where are your parents from, or which re- which country and region are your parents from?
2: Yeah, they're from Nigeria, um, Ibom State, so the South-South.
0: Were you born in the U.S. or born in Nigeria? Yes, born
2: in Houston, Texas.
0: How did you uh, identify yourself ethnically or racially, you know, and how do you identify yourself now? Yeah. Has that changed? Growing up, I, I identified
2: more, I guess, with um, the, how do I say, the Black American experience. Um, I didn't really see myself as Nigerian, even though very much in the household, there were certain things as the Nigerian daughter I had to do. But when I went out into the world, my first identifier was the fact that I was Black. So that was the identity I took on. And especially in college, mm-hmm. I remember I was in the Black Students Alliance. And it wasn't until later I joined the um, the African and Caribbean Student Association when I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm Nigerian, too. So um, but it wasn't until I moved back to Nigeria and I shouldn't even say back to Nigeria. It wasn't until I moved to Nigeria when I started to really go deeper into my Nigerian heritage and my roots. So now I identify myself as Nigerian
0: American what made you join the African and or Caribbean groups when you're in college? Uh, it seems like you were part of the African-American group and then slowly moved, mm-hmm. made your way there. What led you to that?
2: see. Well, I, was, I, I always stayed in the BSA
0: because
2: um, okay. <laughs> that was where my affinity really lied. Mm-hmm. I also felt like um, it was the BSA that was doing more, at least around my time, around political activism, making sure Black students could be students and not be harassed, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, whereas the African and Caribbean Student Association, again, during that time, Mm -hmm. um, they were kind of strictly focused on culture, you know, let's not rock the boat too much and stuff, but you're free to come to like our cultural gatherings. So, you know, it wasn't until I realized that there was a rift kind of a silent rift between the black American students and the African and Caribbean students when, mm. and it was an African student who looked at me and was just like, well, you're Nigerian. Why don't you hang with us? What? You don't like us? And I was like, I love you all. And then she was wow. just like, well, you're acting like you hate us. Um, so I made my way over there and started to learn more, but I was always really pro BSA. That's, mm. that's where I went back
0: to at the end. Yeah, very similar to my experience in college as well. But for me, I was not born in the US. I was born in Ghana. I'm originally from Ghana and moved here when I was in my pre So when I went to college, You know, I was more acclimated to the American culture. So I I identified more with the Black student organization. You're absolutely right. That group is more politically inclined, whereas the African student organization is more culturally. So so that's very interesting. What was your community's attitudes towards kind of living in Africa and Africans in general growing up? Um, Well, I had never
2: really lived in Africa um so there was again that kind of initial disconnect and I wasn't like other Nigerian kids I knew who would often go home every year um we just didn't do that mostly because we didn't have the money to do that every year so um I had only been once when I was two years old so I didn't really have a reference for Nigeria or for really any part of the continent until college when I went to study abroad. And I actually studied abroad in Ghana. I was so excited. Aww. They wouldn't let us go to, yeah. <laughs> so I remember learning Qi and going to the University of Legon. And, you know, I was just so happy because I wanted to first go to Nigeria, but um, yeah. my program wouldn't let me because they were like, it's too insecure. We can't send you there. Um, so they were like, why don't you go to Ghana? You know, it seems like you really want to be in West Africa and want to be in a place that's maybe close to Nigeria. So I remember just being so elated to be able to go. Um, so my experience of Africa was really more of an outside in, like really wanting to learn more, um, as I got older. Now, Mm -hmm. when I was a younger kid, like middle school, elementary, all I wanted to do was to fit in because like we were the only Africans on the block. It's not like we had a larger, um, we did have the Equivum association, but it's, it's different when you're the only one of you and you only meet up with folks Mm. maybe every few months, you know, and you're coming to school and you have a different name and your name's not Bobby or Susie. And, you know, so I remember just not even wanting to fit in, but wanting to hide, You know, Um, and I'm very thankful now that my parents gave me my name, Itoro Udafia, and um, you know, the white teachers, because I grew up in a very rural area (laughs) and very Uh, conservative, very, and I sometimes I wonder why our parents do that to us. But uh, as I got older, especially in college, I just had this um, need to know. And I, I had realized, too, that I was very deep in Black American culture and, Very honored that I was even able to be a part of it. Like, I had people who accepted me and embraced me. Like, I remember watching Spike Lee's Bamboozled and Marlon Riggs' Black Is Black Ain't. But I was just like, and again, it was a Black American who told me, she was just like, you actually can trace back where you come from Mm -hmm. better than I can, Mm -hmm. you know? So, what are you doing? She was like, what I would give to be able to do that. So,
0: yeah was that what led you to move what led you to move to Nigeria
2: and how long have you been
0: back I've been back
2: now for I'm into my third year I came just before COVID hit so in January and then before that I had been in Kenya for a year just freelance writing um you know I think what led me here has been just it's been kind of like a slow boil just Mm -hmm. um I I was when I was in California, I had lived out there for eight years before leaving to the continent. I was doing work heavy in Black-led organizing, especially around Black immigrants and um, the school to prison pipeline. So there was always this need to know where I came from, but also to connect it to other people who weren't quite sure where they came from, but we could Mm. all point to Africa, you know? Um, And then... When I went to New Orleans too, um, that was a pivotal moment for me because I had been on medical leave and um, it's an interesting story, but I had met an ancestral healer who, you know, somebody said I should go to, I had fibroids and um, Mm -hmm. I was in a lot of pain and, you know, with black women, fibroids is something that a lot of doctors don't know how to treat Yeah, You know, I don't, I don't think I need to say too much, but it can be painful. Like you're walking around with pain in your body and no one really wants to help you. So I went Mm -hmm. to this ancestral healer as kind of like a last ditch effort to um, try to recover. And she looked at like the spiritual (laughs) nature of my fibroids when I had drank so much green juice that I couldn't anymore. And she was just like, it's your ancestors, you know, she was just like, it's the pain of not connecting to who you are and she's like I see you returning you know I see you going home you know and then she had me do some things around like a spiritual bath I was like fine I'll do the spiritual bath I will do whatever I need to do to get rid of the pain but Mm -hmm. after that I actually ended up losing my job that I had been at for almost two years because they had run out of funding you know and I was like well what am I gonna do you know I'm unemployed I have um unemployment benefits, but how long will that last? It's not yeah. enough. And then I got a writing fellowship in Kenya and I was so excited. I was just like, wow, getting and closer I'm, and closer back home. Yeah. Yeah. So then I decided to go and I was only going to be there for six weeks, but when I landed something in my, it, I don't know how to explain it, but it was, it was chemical. Like I could feel yeah. my body relax in a way it had never done. And then when it was almost time for me to go back home to the US, I got a email from a teacher in Nigeria at an international school who had read a short story of mine. And she was like, this would be perfect for our students to read about third culture kids, being a Nigerian American, being an African immigrant. And it was an American school. So she was like, you know, all of our students are tracked to go to American universities this would be a good way to open up a good conversation. Can we hmm. fly you out to come to Nigeria and talk to our students? And I was like, heck <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then they flew me out. I was wow. in Nigeria for 10 days, then went back to Kenya. And then it was really time to go back to the States. And I decided to skip my ticket. Um, and then I was out in Kenya for the next year. And then Somebody said, I have a job for you in Nigeria. I had met this person in Kenya at a festival and he was just like, you are very Nigerian. What are you doing in Kenya? And I was like, (laughs) what what exactly does that mean (laughs) that you're very Nigerian? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But it was within the context of Nigeria being a place that needs people who care about the Mm. country Mm. and who wanna give back. the Mm. country and he was just like it looks like you're floating and I was just like yeah you could say that and he was just like well if you want me to respect you as a Nigerian citizen then I think you better come home and then in a few months he was just like I have a job that I think you'd like that fits fits you and it actually really did so then I came back to Nigeria. What what
0: what was your community's attitude towards you moving back um moving to Kenya first and then moving to Nigeria. How did your friends and family take it?
2: Yeah, it was a mixed bag. Um, Mm -hmm. It ranged from everything like, when are you returning home? Like almost Mm -hmm. there was a disbelief, like, oh, you're not going to stay out there. Um, I even remember one friend was just like, oh, so what? You think you're James Baldwin? What are you on your expat life? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it was all (laughs) sorts of things. Um, Other people who are just like, really, when are you coming back? We missed you. Um, Other people who are like, I'm going to live vicariously for you because you're in Wakanda, you know, (laughs) which (laughs) is not true. Um, But it was mixed. And then as when COVID hit, that's when people started saying, well, when can I come and visit you? You know,
0: they were looking to have a piece of that Wakanda life. (laughs) That's yeah. very interesting. Seems as if you view the African American culture as a third culture. Can you speak a little bit about that? You mentioned African culture, African-American culture, and being in that third culture. Can you talk a little bit to that and what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of shifting one has to do. Like um, growing up, also the reason why I identified so much with like the Black American experience is because I had Black American friends. Like mm. we were the only Africans, um, save for our Bum Association meetings. And I would say a lot of the kids, like most of us had been born and raised in the United States. We were t- trying to assimilate in our own way, you know? So a lot of us identified more with like Blackness mm. um, and not necessarily our Nigerianness. You know, Um, so that was like my formative years. Like I remember she was my childhood friend who told me about the Soul Train line and she loved Don Cornelius for whatever reason. So we would always like do our own like kind of makeshift Soul Train lines, you know? and just everything she taught me how to braid my hair and stuff like we would share food she loved fufu because she was like it reminds me so much of um gumbo cuz she was from the south huh. you know and because i had such a deep love for her because she was the only one there who i could really identify with i was just like this is you know the experience i guess i'll walk with for a while um and then my Nigerianness really came into play in college, you know, especially when I was like meeting other people who are coming directly from the continent or from the mm. Caribbean and who are like, I don't see myself as black. Um, and who actually didn't see me as Nigerian. They're like, mm. you've become something else because you were born and raised here. You don't even speak your home language. And that's so important to be able to speak your home language, you know, and I didn't know how to do that. So it's been a lot to navigate. Sometimes I feel like I'm everything and I'm nothing at once. Um, Sometimes I believe that there's a huge responsibility that comes with being able to shift like that Mm -hmm. and kind of knowing where your alliances lie as well. Like I will always love Blackness, you know, and I'll never try to disregard it. And I think as African immigrants, as Black immigrants, it's important for us to align with black people and to know the experiences yeah. of the black people who paved the way for us to have a life you know um so that will never leave me but i also know that i've had a different experience so i have to mm-hmm. hold space for that too
0: how is that experience your ability to shift helped you or hurt you um now that you're living in nigeria and on the continent
2: um, in, in practical ways, the way it's hurt me is the fact that I really need to learn my home language or at least Nigerian Pidgin, and not sound like a fool <laughs> when I speak it. Um,
0: <laughs> you know, uh, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that people are very hurt. quick to call you out as well. <laughs>
2: you know. Very much, you know, and even mm. in like, Because there's also so much in a name. Um, So even with the way I pronounce my name, the tonality of it is off. So every time somebody here will ask me my name, I'll be like, it's Itoro. Um, And they'll be like, oh, Itoro, like that. And they'll like correct it, you know? Um, So in those ways, like, you know, it's learning, but it also shows that, oh, you're not really from here. You know, Mm -hmm. it kind of opens you up sometimes for conversation, sometimes for insecurity. Um, I would say the way it's helped me is actually I've been able to, because Nigeria specifically is such a, it's a rough place. It's not an easy place to live. Um, The nature of insecurity, it's a country of 200 million people and about, Almost fifty percent, maybe even a little more, live on less than a dollar a day. Mm. Um, there's there's almost a heartbreak that you can feel in the air because a lot of people always ask. This country has so much to offer. We have all the resources. Whenever we leave this country and go out anywhere else, we excel. You know why can't we work it out and get it together here? And me not being entirely of Nigeria, but kind of coming in, I think has helped maybe give a different perspective, but also see where I can fit in and maybe um, make things better than what they were before in a way that somebody else might not be able to, because there's a lot of people who are looking to leave, you know, and it's um, very few who
0: actually return. If,
2: if they were given, yeah, if they were given the choice to go, they'd go. So the idea then of staying becomes a deep, responsibility and almost a civic duty. And
0: I get to do that. So, yeah. What has been your biggest surprise being back? (laughs) I I know that I asked that because I know that at least when I go back to Ghana, the, there's a huge difference in how things are done (laughs) where, you know, here it's just move, 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 let's get it done. And things are, I would say move at a slower pace and it drives me nuts. (laughs) how has that experience been for you? Like, what have been some of the experiences there that you've had that have surprised you? Or perhaps that wasn't a surprise.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's it's not a move, move, move culture. And it was actually one of the things that I loved about being back in Nigeria. There's like, almost like, um, it's a different rhythm. It's a different pacing. And it's much more community oriented even with everything that's happened, you know mm-hmm. colonialism imperial people still want to connect. Um, another thing that I found interesting too is um I remember my cousin when I was visiting um, I, I wanted to I was trying to date, and that's another conversation in and of itself <laughs> and she was asking she was asking she was like oh well do you know that this person's family like what's their family name Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh lord I don't know (laughs) and then she was just like well one you have to know and two you need to tell us so we can look them up and figure out who they are like what family they're connected to like you know if we're in Lagos are they in Surilere are they in Ikeja are they on the island because she's like the way it works here is that we don't have social security. Your family name is your social security. That's how we track you. And I've noticed that here as well. Like I've been able, a lot of what I've been able to do here is because of the relationships I have and the relationships other people have that they've allowed me to be a part of. And I think there's something about that that's just so beautiful and also so deeply communal and so deeply um, important to the African identity.
0: Let's move a little bit towards your writing career. You mentioned that you've written short stories. What led you to start writing and how has that had an impact on you since being in Nigeria? And have you continued writing and what what sorts of stories are you writing?
2: Uh, I've always written. Like I remember writing since I was five and Wow. Um, it wasn't until college when I realized, oh, you can actually submit your work and then people can read it to like different magazines. So then I started doing that. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, and it can be something that you make a career, you know? So it it just kind of, again, was like a slow boil. Mm-hmm. Um, being in Before I moved, like maybe a few years before I moved to the continent, I had been writing a lot about identity, immigration, the African immigrant experience, and also tying that into being an African woman, being an African daughter, because there's just so many expectations that can come, you know? Um, So I started there. I was just like, I want to talk about these experiences. I want to talk about the experiences of the women in my life and the women I've known and what they've been through. So that's where specifically those short stories started. And um, then it became a book. So I've continued writing. I, I have never stopped. And now that I'm in Nigeria, I find myself writing about the returnee experience a lot and what it means to come back to a country and know that you cannot save it because you can't be a savior and we don't need a continuation of that. So
0: yeah how long did it take you to to figure out that you couldn't save Nigeria and did you buy when you returned about three years ago
2: yeah honestly I think it was when I it was within that whole um, experience with the international school because I saw the deep disparity um just you know, it was immediate, almost as soon as you step off the plane, there's just so many things that you see. And I think the beauty of my experience, which was also at times the hard thing is that I didn't go to Nigeria when I came back for good. I wasn't going with any kind of cover. You know, I wasn't covered by the U.S. Embassy. I've just registered, Mm. um, you know, I wasn't covered by anything. It's not like I had a job set up, like not really. I mean, I had this journalistic job, but (laughs) it was within a Nigerian framework. (laughs) So it's a very different framework.
0: (laughs) Uh, What a great way to put it.
2: (laughs) You know, I was, I was, I was no longer making dollars. I was making Naira. So in a way I had stripped myself of a lot of the, the privileges. I mean, I still had privilege, but there was a lot of it that had gone away. And because I had done that to myself, because of somehow I knew I was just like, if you're really going to understand anything, and if you really want to live, like, be a person and not be so disconnected then it might be best to go this way you know it was me taking a leap of faith um I just knew I was just like I cannot save anyone because one I'm trying to figure out how to save myself and that is a messy process and um number two it's not about who you can save I think it's about who you can connect to who you can build with and um how you all can pool your resources together to make life better. But this whole notion of the savior complex that got chipped away real quick, especially when COVID hit, because I came Mm -hmm. right before COVID hit.
0: How has that, that experience kind of impacted your writing? You mentioned earlier that you're moving back to Nigeria has kind of changed a little bit of the, the subject of what you talk about in your in your short stories or now book how has that how has that shifted have you seen a shift in the focus of your story yeah I
2: I no longer I try not to romanticize Africa as a whole um, but specifically Nigeria like when I was growing up I grew up on the Cosby Show a different world. There was a way within like the American, the Black American imagination that Africa was always seen as like the place you wanna get to, like it was pedestalized, you know? And then when Black Panther came out, everyone was just like Wakanda, you know? Um, But when I came here and and these conversations started in Kenya, you know, it's not to say that these dreams are wrong. It's just to say, what is actually happening in real time that has made it difficult to um, move beyond aspiration. So in Kenya, a lot of people were like pushing me on what I thought of race, what I thought of Africa. They're like, we're trying to self-actualize too. We're trying to find our Wakanda too. And then you go to Nigeria, the most populous black nation, uh, you know, on the planet and you you have those same issues you know where there are so many people who are trying to self-actualize and haven't found a way to do it yet and who are trying to leave nigeria because Mm -hmm. for them wakanda is in canada it's in europe it's it's everywhere but home so i was just like if there's anything i can do it might be to be able to tell this story Uh, and also being Nigerian and I guess this is the last thing I'll say about it being in a lot of these um, literary groups where many Nigerians are trying to write about the world around them and they're like we're writing for us we're not writing for a a larger gaze especially a western gaze they're pushing a lot of the work that's coming out of the U.S. saying that this is not a Nigerian story you know like they're Mm -hmm. like call it what it is it's um and it's interesting conversations they're like this is a diasporan story it's an immigrant story but it's not have you actually lived here enough to know you know um so I think I exist within that and that's why I'm just trying to tell hopefully a story where we can all have our full humanity and enough nuance for all of us to really relate to each other on a level that makes sense for us Mm -hmm. so yeah I don't know if I explained that well but
1: you know. yeah. What you said reminded me of something that I, and I've probably mentioned this before on some other episode, but I um, I got to see Chimamanda DJ Spark, speak when, around the time when Americana came out. I don't like that book, but that's another story. Uh, but <laughs> for some of the things that you were talking about, about this idea of like representation, but something that was interesting there, it was like, it was in the UAE, it was a book festival and the narrator was this white british man or the the moderator was this white british man and he was so fixated on like the opening scene of the book where the main character goes to get her hair done like he wanted to spend probably like 50% of the time talking about that and she had to keep pushing back and being like that's not the crux of the story it's it's a detail it's a reality that you know that black women go and get their hairs braided and this is what it's like in a braiding shop but it was interesting that like that's what he thought was so important and then in the in further on in the course of that um interview they had like questions and things from the audience and you know she had been very clear that the focus of the book was race like she was trying to make a statement about race in America whether you agree on the statement that she made is a different thing like I said I'm not i prefer some of her other novels over this one but but then another woman came up a south asian woman and she was like no the book is not about race it's about this thing and i remember going this is so interesting this woman has straight up told you this is what my book is about this is what i'm writing about and you have from these different angles these folk with different you know backgrounds for whom, like the work resonated, right? It just didn't resonate, maybe in the ways that she was hoping that it would resonate, or on the that they, they didn't get the they didn't get the point of the book. And I'm just uh, bringing that up and just wondering if you feel like you fall into that a little bit now. That is that dynamic at play for you now that you are a diasporic person that's coming to Nigeria. You're writing stories with a particular point of view, and you hope that you're resonating with people. But do you ever worry? that you know what is that princess bride i do not think it means what you think it means is <laughs> it, something that may come up with your stories as well or with your writing in general as well of like y- you have no control over what you know what affects people
2: yeah it's you know when i came out with the book there's been a lot of interesting responses um, a lot of people had said, because I talk a lot about, it covers the return journey as well, but it starts, it really starts in the U.S., you know? Um, and some people say this book, and it was interesting because the person who was just like, this book is about you being Black and being a Black woman. And I was just like, hmm, yes, and I'm not sure that's the crux. Uh, But, you know, that was the lens that she was reading me through. And I thought that was interesting. And then I had gotten a review. It was actually like not the best review of the book, which which happens when I was talking about things happening in Nigeria, especially around the street children, you know, epidemic that we have here. And she was just like, it seemed gratuitous you know, and it felt like this story was just about her being kind of self gratifying about like, you know, like, I I just didn't get it. I wouldn't recommend for people to read this book, because I felt like it was just about like, you know, kind of um,
1: poverty porn, or yeah,
2: maybe poverty porn in a way, like, you know, is what I got from that review. And then there was another review that I got where they were like, oh, this book is about the the African immigrant experience, which I was like, it's closer, you know? But I thought the book was about identity, <laughs> you know, wherever you fall into that identity, like within Blackness and stuff, it's about shifting. It's about, so it's, it's just landed in different ways to everyone and you really can't control it. You're like, so right on that because the way it's been marketed has been interesting,
0: so who is typically your target audience for, for what you write? Um, who do you hope the the story resonates with? For this particular book, it's African women, Mm -hmm.
2: um, definitely African immigrants, black immigrants, um, women in general, because it does talk a lot about survivorship, uh, and also Nigerians. Like I wanted to write a, book where more Nigerians who are born and raised here, still live here, could understand the shifts one must go through,
0: you know, to be Black in America, of all places. Can you give us the title of your book and give, give yourself a review, how you would review your book? <laughs> there <we go>. No. <laughs> yeah, we want to review track. it. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the title of the book is Faith. It follows Eret Essien, who is a first-generation Nigerian-American, and she is being haunted by Epilon, who is her ancestor, who has just died and came back as her ancestor. And Epilon, her story is that she never got to go to America, which was always her hope she died in Nigeria. So now she's coming back as a spirit to live vicariously through Eret who was born and raised in the United States. And that kind of begins the story of misunderstanding and what I would say, excavating generational trauma which is actually what I think like really is the crux of the book. Ancestry, Mm -hmm. generational trauma, how we pass things down and what are we choosing to heal And what are we choosing to conceal? And are we doing enough of the healing work to make sure we don't pass down more pain? Um, And I would actually say, because it talks a lot about, again, this whole idea of ancestry and within African culture, you know how much we revere our elders, our ancestors. But what I'm asking through Ephelon is, are our ancestors always right? Did they fully heal <coughs> when they <laughs> <fall> over to <laughs> <laughs> I have when a they passed okay. over to the other side.
1: Kind of went that Nollywood song like, hey, hey! <laughs> Danger. <laughs>
0: I'm curious to know how folks who've read your book in Nigeria. I'm not sure the reviews you mentioned before whether they came from kind of U.S. Black Americans or who it came from. But have you had a review from Nigerians um, living on the continent of the book? And what what has been the sentiment?
2: Yeah, um, a lot of the reviews were coming from the U.S., um, but I was also trying to push Nigerian readership here. So I was lucky to get reviews. A lot of people actually liked it, which was surprising. Mm. And I think it was that spirituality ancestry piece, you know, when they were like, oh, and you're also putting in those who are from like the southern region, were just like, you did your research, you know, around like especially the BBO spirituality pieces. They were like, oh, we we see it. And they were like, yeah, this is a fundamental question we're all asking. Um, so it's interesting where the book is getting traction. It's mm-hmm. actually
0: not in the U S as much. It's more in Nigeria. So, yeah. Very interesting. You mentioned that you, you re- you did research, how much do you think you having moved back, ha- really framed kind of the book and al- allowed you to be able to speak more in depth, I think, to uh, s- some of the, s- some of the topics within the book. Yeah.
2: Once I was back in Nigeria, um, Especially during COVID, there was something about, I mean, for everyone, for COVID hitting, but COVID hitting in Nigeria, a place that really can't afford to shut down, you know? And again, like I said, I wasn't living like a person from abroad, you know? It made me start asking different questions that challenged the work. And I was just like, I think I'm going to have to rip some of these stories I've already written to shreds because I think it's just too thin Mm. for even the things that I've experienced and the things I've seen other people experience. So I just asked a lot of questions, but also I was working. So I was actually becoming deeply integrated into um, a Nigerian system. So there I learned a lot about how people are building relationships or seeing the world. I mean, you see a lot, you know, Mm. Um, and that just deepened the work more. And then also talking to other writers, other creatives who are writing voraciously about Nigeria and trying to make sense of the world around them and then asking them to read my work, to tear it to shreds, which a lot of Nigerians here love to do. Um, especially the artists, (laughs) but I'll definitely
0: say it grew. It definitely, it deepened. I had one piece of advice to african Americans thinking of perhaps moving home or moving back home, or for those who want to pursue writing in that context, what would it be? I'd say Find your balance,
2: you know, and also if you can take specifically for Nigeria, because other places, well, I mean, other places have their challenges as well. So, yeah, I'll just make it general, but definitely find your balance. Don't romanticize a place to the point where you're trying to escape. Mm. This is not an escape. You know, Mm. this is. Real life, people are living and they're living in real time. And a part of decolonizing, I think, is also acknowledging the reality. And then from there, you figure out what you can do. But you can't do much if you're already thinking it should be this way and it's not that way. You're not accepting someone's full humanity to be good and to Mm -hmm. be not so good because specifically Nigeria is a place, it's, it's the most blurriest place I've ever lived in. You know, it's not like the United States where it's like um, the electricity is gonna work today. You know, um, yeah. Your data is gonna work today. It, it's very blurry, it's very, it may work today, may not, or possibly you could pay off somebody to make it work better, but it won't work completely. You know, like kind of yeah. like that, yeah. you know? So, you know, be okay with um, being fluid. Actually, this gives you a chance to become even more fluid, I'd say. And also don't become fatalistic. That's why I'm talking about balance. Because you might see things again that are good and not so good, and that might really hurt you to your core, you know? And you're gonna have to find a way to figure out your happy medium.
0: Very good advice how how That's has sound advice how has the way you identify yourself three years ago changed i don't how even that know who that woman is that anymore
2: <laughs> um, but i do love her i love her very much because she got me here um i would actually say i'm i'm much i have a joy that surpasses all understanding um and this is when things are good, and when things are not so good, and I definitely think that I've just become, I have fortitude, which is different. Before, I used to define myself by my my resilience, and now I say it's different for you. It's a fortitude. You have an inner strength that you've really
1: earned, so. Wow, that's beautiful. It sounds, I feel like it's, just hearing you talking about the travel advice it, it's really is good advice for even visiting another country because i think we go in a lot of times with a certain perspective
0: exactly. and
1: you get frustrated with things and it's really good to remind yourself that you know to go in with the lens of like taking things in as opposed to like what i expect to to see or experience and i think the the fluidity piece also resonates as I there's there's I lived for Egypt in, a, in a, a, a while ago and some of the things you talk about in Nigeria like happened there as well. And there is a there was a movie, though, that was. Uh, some years ago, what I just remember, a line from it where there was an Egyptian character trying to explain to an American that came to Egypt that he was like, look, in Egypt, we have this concept of Alhamdulillah, and it was. But basically what he meant with that, you know, I didn't understand it until later, but it's sort of like what you're talking about, that kind of like that fortitude that people have, that it's it's not really a, a resilience per se, but it is it is just this idea of like, they understand how things work and how like open-minded you have to be, how you have to go with the flow and you trudge on in life and you can't be, like you said, fatalistic. You can't, there's always there's good and bad in everything and so it's like your choice kind of like which which pieces you're going to pull out and there are going to be things that you see that will be absolutely heartbreaking um but there'll be some things that you see that are absolutely beautiful and there's some things about different cultures right that people that warm your heart when you even just think about them so Thank you for that. That, yeah, I would just say that that's, that's really good advice and reminder to everyone, <laughs> no matter where you go. Don't go in thinking you're going to be the one that's the mover and the shaker and showing, you know, don't be like a, what's that movie? Avatar, the white man that's going to come in and outnative the native people. Like, that's, I mean, that's one way to do things, but probably not the best way to get the most out of the experience. So thank you.
0: Mm, certainly. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us and um, talking about your book, Faith, and giving yourself a, a review. <laughs> that thank was enlightening. You so so, yes, yes, yes. Th- thank you. Itoro. <laughs> I'm going yes. to say the name yes. in a Nigerian way. Thank you very much, Itoro, thank you. <laughs> for joining us thank all the way from so Nigeria. This, was, this has
1: been enlightening. Thank you.
0: Thank you.